Good Vibes Cinema presents Vibe Talking. Hey party people, welcome back to another episode of Vibe Talking, a podcast about films with off-the-charts vibes, films from the golden age of adult cinema. I'm Vic Terry, executive producer of Good Vibes Cinema, and I'm joined here by my friend, neighbor, and co-star, Minnie V. I wish I had Jesse's girl. Oh, man, I love this song, you guys. Hey, let's do some more drugs. We're covering a film with one of the best soundtracks of all time. That's what we're doing today. You're damn right. This fucking soundtrack slaps. So good. You guys, this is a, a very exciting departure from the huge. We are talking about boogie nights tonight and we're doing it for a special occasion it is my birthday and we are celebrating gemini season and so we had to talk about the movie that started it all watching this movie like changed my life and like started this show and like started my whole career like everything i'm doing right now everything that i'm inspired by the vibe that i'm carrying on in my life happened because i watched this movie and never related to anything more ever yeah (laughs) and still do like the first impression that i got of you uh meeting you was that you look like a character who stepped right out of boogie nights because i don't know how long it was before you told me that that was like your all-time favorite movie and like not just your favorite like piece of cinema but like a vibe that you're like continuously cultivating and I was just like oh yeah definitely but anyway <laughs> happy birthday Thank you. and you can help celebrate by following us liking us subscribing sharing um, at vibe talking on Twitter and Instagram if you want to reach out send special birthday wish or send little uh, phone script like we've been asking for since basically the early days. I'm ready to do a cold read, you guys. It's time to bust out my acting Vibetalking at gmail.com. No G at the end of talking. That's what's up. Yeah, I figured I'll start throwing that stuff out at the top of the episode. That's a good idea. In case anybody like gets to the end and they're like, oh, they're they're wrapping it up. We can stop listening here. And then they miss all of our plugs. Good call, good call. We're going to bombard you guys with that shit from the get-go. But man, let's... What is up with Boogie Nights? Okay, so do you want to hear the story of when I first watched Boogie Nights? Do you want to hear how I've been every single character in Boogie Nights at different parts of my life? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because I've got a story about when I first watched Boogie Nights. It was kind of a momentous point in my life for me. Okay, so I vaguely knew about Boogie Nights as, like, a kid. And... I forget why this came up, but, like, my parents were, like, talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman in some other movie, and my mom said something about, like, oh, he was in Boogie Nights, the saddest movie ever. So that's what I knew about Boogie Nights, was that it was the saddest movie ever. Um, Something I hard disagree with. (laughs) It's listed as being, like, a comedy drama. Which I think is... It's true. I mean, like, there's definitely sad stuff in Boogie Nights, but I would not say that's not the overall tone I'm picking up from this piece. So she says that. I have that in the back of my head. And then when I was 18, my partner at the time was like, hey, you like 70s stuff. We've just seen American Hustle. I think it was around that time where it was about to come out or something like that. And he's like, we should watch this movie. Like, I think there's going to be some vibes. I think you're going to like this. And he'd never seen it either. So I was like, okay, let's do it. And I have like vivid memories of like us two watching it together at his desktop computer in the living room of his parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say that him predicting that you might kind of dig this movie, it turns out that you were dating Nostradamus at the time. <laughs> I think you might be a little into this movie. I don't know. You 
you just check maybe, it out. just yeah. perhaps. Perhaps. Um, so I watched it, and immediately I was just like so captivated by like the vibe, every character, like just just everything about it. And I connected with different characters at different points in my life, but like the overall like tone because. I keep bringing this up with the Tennessee Williams stuff, with, like, my play, with the stuff we're doing. Like, my favorite, like, subject matter is, like, cultivating the self and, like, what's real and what's a persona and, like, what's entertainment and what's a character and what's, you know, where do those things intersect and, like, what happens, like, as a performer when those lines kind of blur, you know? And so that's something I'm always exploring, like, just in my life and in my work. And so I I felt like that film captured that idea, like, better than anything else I'd ever seen. And so right away, I was, like, so into that concept. And I really liked in Boogie Nights because, like, at least for Dirk, it very much feels like him getting into entertainment and getting to play these characters like allows him to become a more true version of him and like that's an idea that I'm very interested in with Streetcar it's like okay somebody's being factually untrue but like emotionally honest versus someone who's like very blunt but like not necessarily in touch with all the layers of feeling you Mm -hmm. know and so like that's something that I really loved about Dirk him being this like quote unquote nobody at the beginning of the film like he has a certain way that he sees himself that's not being reflected in his life and then he finds a lifestyle that like allows him to become that person and part of his journey is like getting that shit under wraps but I really liked the idea that like you could become a more authentic version of yourself through fiction and I feel like that's something that I have done even in doing this show like there's a certain type of I don't feel like I'm doing a persona, but there's like a certain type of vibe that you have to turn on to do this type of stuff. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's when I'm most in my element. So I liked that idea. That was a very like true theme to me. So that's what really hooked me with it. Yeah. And definitely one thing that uh, when I rewatched it again after meeting you, I immediately picked up on, okay, if you know anything about writing about storytelling you understand jesse campbell and um the hero's journey the monomyth you know and that's basically how most stories are structured especially anything that's like action that has to do with you know a heroic type character and with this like you can look at this as you know mild-mannered eddie adams from torrance becoming porn superstar Dirk Diggler, like, it's a superhero origin story, including, you know, the the Dark Knight of the Soul, you know, that whole sequence. It just happens to be about somebody who, you know, works in porn, who is a is a sex worker, is a porn performer. That aspect of it is very interesting for me. But there's elements of this movie, like, Paul Thomas Anderson packed a lot into the movie because there is very, very dramatic stuff. There is, you know, stuff that, you know, involves sex and like not a documentary of the uh, golden age of porn, like the tail end of it. But he does kind of hew close to that. Like you can tell that there's a lot of research that went into it and he was trying to represent it in there as much as he could. And then there's stuff in the in this movie that's absolutely hilarious and also heartbreaking because you take what's his I, I, I don't the know why. character Scotty. Yeah, Scotty. 
I kept wanting to call him Sonny. But but Scotty's character is simultaneously hilarious and also heartbreaking. Yeah. And even um, John C. Riley is like Reed Rothschild. Like, like, I don't know if he was trying to be a comedic actor at the time or if he's trying to be more of a dramatic actor and then kind of ended up in comedy. But you can see like how he becomes... Will Ferrell's running partner, mm-hmm. you know, just in the way that he does this movie, like the way he delivers some of his lines, like even in his introductory scene when he's meeting Dirk for the first time and they're just trying to like feel each other out and trying to see if they can yes. one up each other. It's hilarious. It's very like, especially his shit at the end of the movie, like when yeah. he gets his little closing kind of bit, it's hilarious. But um, the biggest thing about this movie, and I think this is kind of like what hooked you, but it was... Um, how immersive the world that Paul Thomas Anderson creates in this mm-hmm. film. And he's very good about doing that with his other films, but because this film is about a very specific time period that's gotten very romanticized, like the way that he captures it, and especially watching it 25 years after the movie came out, it's really, really interesting to kind of see that, go back into it, and just notice how there's a lot of other films that have come after that have tried to replicate that. And I don't know that there's really been any that have topped what this movie was able to do in terms of capturing the essence of a time period. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. Which is ironic considering neither of us actually lived during the the primary time this film took place. But you know what? They're not just capturing a time period. They're capturing like a genre, you know? And even though we weren't there, like I feel like you and I are very familiar with the film's in this genre, in this era, you yeah. know? Even the clips in the movie that are, like, the movie they're making and stuff like that, you know? Which, oh, God, I have so much to say about that. I love that so much. It looks like the shit that we're watching. It yeah. really does. And the acting style, when the characters are acting, you know? Like, they are absolutely nailing it. Which is really impressive because I feel like, you know, because this is one of uh, Mark Wahlberg's first leading roles, and originally, Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to cast Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, which that would have been a really interesting movie. I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't either. Because it's it's kind of hard to like picture, like, well, who could have played this role instead of Mark Wahlberg? But, you know, Mark Wahlberg wasn't taken seriously as an actor at this time. I don't know how many film credits he had before this. Like, I can't remember if he was in... I think he was in Fear before this. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this is the first kind of, like, breakthrough role for him as, like, a dramatic actor and just the range of stuff that he's got to do in this movie. Like, when he goes from portraying, like, a person who's struggling to maintain this persona that he's cultivated for himself and Dirk Diggler, and then, like, it immediately will transition to him acting as Dirk Diggler, and there's a very clear separation in the way that he's performing his lines. Totally. Because the second version has to kind of match, like, stuff that you would see in the Johnny Watt films, which is what Paul Thomas Anderson wanted them to watch to prepare themselves for this movie. Yeah, I definitely, you know, like having seen Boogie Nights a million times and then watching Jade Pussycat, that intro scene where the guy stole the artifact and he's climbing down the fire escape. I'm like, this looks like Angels in Our Town. You know, yeah. like it absolutely looked like that. And I was like, ooh, 
<laughs> because ever since I saw Boogie Nights, which is so stupid to think about in hindsight, but like <laughs> when I first saw it, I was just like, God, I wish I could watch the movie that they made. And it's like, okay, I can't literally watch that movie because it's not a real movie, but like I could watch many other similar films, but like 18-year-old me was like, no, I can't do that. Like <laughs> You know? I can get in trouble. Like, someone's going to tell me, no, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to. I was just so uncomfortable. No, like, I, I can relate to that feeling because I watched this movie. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but I think I watched it, like, as soon as it came out on home video. And I had teased before that I was going to have, like, kind of a revelation about how Boogie Nights factors into, like, my life and my burgeoning adulthood. So, at the time that I said that, I was thinking in my head, I watched this movie the night that I lost my virginity. Oh, my That's God. You never exactly told me true. that. Yeah, I've never told you that, which is why lie. I was saving it. It's not exactly <laughs> true. I had lost my virginity shortly before watching this movie. But the night that we watched it, it was still, I was still dating the same girl. And afterward, we, we hooked up. And it was the first time I was like, oh, wow, I can have sex all night long. And I don't know if it's because of watching Boogie Nights. But it like, was. you know, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know I could do this. I kind of equate watching this movie with me becoming a man and becoming a sexual being. You know? I love that so yeah. much. But what's funny is when I watched it initially, I was really into the movie. Then the movie gets really dark toward the end. And then the way that it wraps up, I was very unsatisfied. Let's hear it. And for the longest time, I was just kind of like, man, you know, Boogie Nights is like a really overrated movie. Because I think I think this movie won some awards, right? I don't know. I think Burt Reynolds won an award. I think he got an Academy Award. Yeah. I know that it was critically acclaimed. Uh, it was very well thought of, which is crazy considering that, you know, in 97, when this movie was released, porn was something that was trying to emerge from being, like, shoved into the back of everybody's closet. You know, the Reagan administration and um, the Christian rights and everything had, had kind of forced porn back into the underground after they had a moment in the sun uh, during the Golden Age. And so this was kind of like the early stages of everyone being like, you know what? I'm not ashamed to watch porn, to say that I watch porn. But it still, you know, took a long time to get to that point. My feelings about the movie after watching it, and again, this is me like 17 years old, just now starting to learn about having sex. I was like, yeah, you know, there's some cool stuff in that movie, but it just, it wasn't satisfying. You know, it just, it felt like Dirk... He should have gone on to do something else. He shouldn't have ended up back almost where he started at at the beginning. But then, you know, in subsequent viewings, he's regaining his rightful place as, like, this porn superhero. That's where he was always meant to be. You know, this movie is all about all these other people discovering Dirk and, and Eddie learning to become Dirk and learning what his superpower was. And his presence sort of lifting everybody up and improving their lives. Yeah, I feel like it is... A happy ending because I feel like that is what he wanted from the beginning. And I think that his like struggles in the middle of the film or towards the, you know, darker end of the film, it's like he wants to be a certain type of person. He wants to feel a certain type of way. And 
because of his own insecurities, his issues with his family, all these other things, it's like holding him back from being who he wants to be. And so, like, he gets what he wants very quickly, but he doesn't know how to handle that. And it's like, on paper, I'm this, like, cool, sexy, powerful, successful person, but, like, I still feel like a piece of shit. And so I'm going to get loaded, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fuck around. And, like, he doesn't feel like he deserves where he's at. And then, like, it takes him kind of hitting rock bottom and asking for help and healing his relationship with, like, Jack and Amber, who are, like, surrogate parents to him, you know, for him to finally, like, start to love himself. And, like, in loving himself, he's able to be like, hell yeah, I'm crushing it. Like, I can do this. I'm totally capable of this. Yeah. And I feel like, too, that the other lesson that he learns is he has that really heartbreaking scene where he gets kicked out of his parents' house because his mother is just, she's awful. And uh, she's trashing his room and he he starts screaming at her that, you know, I'm going to do something special. You don't believe in me, but you watch. I'm going to do something special. And he goes out and does it. And then it starts to creep into his ego that... I don't really need all these other people to do this thing. I can, I've always had this ability and just like my mother, they didn't believe in me. So fuck all these people, you know, I'm going to take off and I'm just going to continue doing my own thing because they're holding me back only for him to eventually come to realize that what allowed me to become who I am to become fully become Dirk Diggler was all of the people around me, you know? Yeah, and that's something, too, about this movie. Because, like, you know, going back to my mom's interpretation that this is the saddest movie ever, (laughs) I found this to be, like, one of the most, like, empowering, beautiful... Because my take on this, like, I feel like it's such a positive film because it's like you have this group of people who have these issues, you know, they have difficult pasts and they have psychological, emotional problems. They are the way that they are because of their circumstances, because of their lives, whatever, you know. And then they find themselves in this position where they are able to create this, like, really wonderful support network and, like, form this, like, family of people who, like, get it and, like, care. They're dealing with their shit through a creative means of expression. Like, we have this whole, like, this found family of people who are, like, healing through creating art and, like, ultimately come out, like, stronger and more connected. I think that is the most, like, beautiful That feels so positive to me. Yeah. I love that. And it's crazy that that's in the background of, like, all the other wild shit that's going on. Because, first of all, like, it just starts off, I thought it was so wild. I guess I just never really thought about it before. But when the movie starts off, Eddie's 17. And he's... Which is not chill. Yeah. He's this kid. Well, it was the 70s. So 17 in the 70s, like you do the math. Oh, my God. That basically equates to 42 now. He's this kid that for some reason, he rides the bus from Torrance all the way to fucking Reseda in the San Fernando Valley. He's going to be there. I mean, he doesn't know that Jack's going to be there. He knows that all the porn people hang out there. Yeah, but there's that aspect of it. And I can tell you, as somebody who I lived in the valley, I rode the metro in L.A. a fucking ton because for a while I didn't have a vehicle. And even when I did have a vehicle, there's no fucking way I would have gotten a job in Torrance because it's just a pain in the ass to go anywhere through L.A. Um, So props to him. I mean, it was 40 years before that, so I'm sure like the traffic Traffic wasn't as bad. (laughs) But still, like, that made me perk up when, when I when I uh, listened to that detail. The other thing about it, though, is so Jack comes 
like Jack follows him because he's bussing and he's also washing the dishes at the club. It's really busy. Yeah. So Jack follows him back into the kitchen. He assumes that Jack's there to bust him for being underage. But then Jack's like, no, no, I'm not here for that. And then he's like, oh, okay. He's like, you want to watch me? $5 you watch, $10 you touch it. And I'm just like, what is going on with this 17-year-old kid that he's just fucking working in this nightclub that a bunch of porn actors go to? And he's also just like, hey, guys, if you want to come back here and watch me jerk it, it's five bucks or a roll. that's what I'm telling you, though. He has wanted this from the beginning. I mean, I guess that's to kind of like show that that just erases like the thought of well maybe he'd be a little skittish about doing like he's already an exhibitionist but even still I'm sitting there as a 17 year old watching this and I'm just like I like you know getting off and stuff but I don't know that if some guy came up and was like hey kid I'll give you 20 bucks to watch a stroke it I'd be like get the fuck out of here I'm calling the cops what is that in 70s money that's what we're going to have to figure out. Like, well, is that someone coming up to you right now being giving you, like, 80 bucks? Well, no. Like, in 70s, it was 5 bucks, which means by, you know, 1997, that's about 20 bucks. Okay. Which God. now would be closer to, like, 45 bucks, I guess. But still. You know what? That seems like... I mean, if someone came up to me right now, if, <laughs> if, some, if some random skeevy dude came up to me right now and was like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks to watch a jerk it, I'd be like, man, if you don't get the fuck out of here, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. Wait, like, I'd be like, can I see the money? <laughs> if it was Burt Reynolds in a leisure suit... I'll do it for free. (laughs) It's just sort of like trying to work through the mental gymnastics of like how he got to that point to where he's just like, huh, there's this neat thing I can do. For the Dirk Diggler origin story. Like I can, I can blast a load like every 15 minutes. Yeah. Like that's him like first discovering that he's got some kind of a superpower, but not having any like use for it. He's like, I gotta do something with this. Yeah. But so there's that part, and then it didn't take too much to really recruit him. He initially turns Jack down, but then he goes home, and his wife's treat or his mom's treating him like shit. Uh, We also get to see a little slice of Roller Girl's school life, which that was another thing I caught in this most recent viewing. Mm -hmm. So. The kid in her class that's, like, uh, making all the lewd gestures to her about sucking dick, that's the same guy that ends up in the limo with her I later know, on in the movie. that's why she got all upset about it. I never caught that before. Oh, my God. And, like, that's the thing. is like, that's something I can appreciate about this film is they don't hit you over the head with stuff. They're like, here's this detail here. If you catch it, you catch it. If you don't catch it, you still understand what's going on in the movie. True, true. But there's a little bit of symmetry there that that I kind of appreciated. I think we need to just walk through it. Yeah, let's Let's walk through it. it. Okay, so really briefly before we walk through it, um, you brought up the structure of the film, the monomyth. I gotta Mm -hmm. just... Gotta just give myself some props here real quick. I wrote a paper about how Boogie Nights is the monomyth, and it was really good. And, like, it absolutely is. So we have... We have our call to adventure, which is when Jack propositions him in the club. We have the first threshold. <laughs> it is! It is! Hold on, I have my notes! But yeah, I'm just imagining me like explaining to my girlfriend when she finds out that I jerked off for a stranger for 40 bucks. And I'm like, honey, that was my call to adventure. It was the initiation, yes. babe. Okay. Initiation for what? He crosses the first threshold when he moves out, passes the point of no return at the pool party. He's in the belly of the whale during his first shoot. <laughs> That's wrapping up the initiation. 
He has his atonement with the father after he has a fight with Jack. The apothesis at the drug dealer's house, which gives him the strength to continue his journey. The ultimate boon is when the hero reaches his goal and is transformed, which is emotionally transformed in our ending. We have the platonic ideal in Reed Rothschild. We have the earth mother, Amber, and we have the wise old man, Jack. It's literally hitting all the fucking beats. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is people will sit there and they'll make fun of like four chord songs, but there's a reason why people fucking love them because like fucking that's that's the shit that hits, that's the shit that slaps. Which speaking of music, fucking the soundtrack in this movie, I think I think by now I have every song that is featured in this movie except for one song. Which song? It's a song that takes place. It's. It's like an instrumental song, and I think it's a song that's like playing at their party. I think mm. it's like the first party that they have. But yeah, the rest of the songs, like every single time a song would come on, like just in my head, like the little uh, the the song title, you know, the artist, uh, the album, like that would all flash in my head because I'm like, yeah, I've fucking listened to this song now like a hundred times at least. It's like one of my favorite soundtracks yeah. ever. Like the soundtrack to this movie is fucking awesome, which is another part of like creating that uh, aesthetic in that environment that you can just fall into. Another kind of note I had is is once we get introduced to Don Cheadle's character as Buck, and I think his introduction is when he's working at the uh, record store. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, man, we need a whole ass movie about Buck. I love him. I love everyone in this movie. That's something that this movie does really good too. It's like a two and a half hour movie, which is like long, but not like crazy long. I feel like especially nowadays, like most movies are two and a half hours, you know? But they cover so much in that time. I don't feel like they waste any time. There's nothing that I feel like should have been cut or detracts from the pacing or anything like that. It doesn't feel particularly long to me. And they have a lot of characters. And I feel like they give all of those characters, like, plenty of screen time, plenty of, like, emotional arc. They just do a really, really good job balancing everything. Yeah, but I would say out of all the characters, the character that gets the most love besides Dirk is is Buck. Because Buck gets his own individual character arc. Like, mm-hmm. you see him go from... Because his, in his introduction, he's very kind of, like, hard-headed and stubborn about, like, well, this is... Like, I'm cultivating this persona, and I'm going to be this. And everybody else around him is like, dude, what you're the vibe you're throwing out does not fit in this environment. And it's not about a race thing or anything like that, because, like, the record store owner gets pissed at him because he's fucking playing country music. Which is so funny. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no one likes this Western shit. What the fuck is this? And he's like, come on, man. Like It's like, what shows off the music the best? And he's like, you're running off customers. Knock it off. By the end of the film, like, he's gone through some horrific shit himself. But he comes out a much better person and he kind of, you know what his dream is at the start and you see him at the end of the film achieving the dream. So in a way, we sort of got a Buck film. It's just he happens to be a side character in his own movie. (laughs) So just give him his own movie. I would watch that movie. I also love his Western look. I have to disagree with everybody else in the film. I think he looks awesome. See, I thought he looked... cowboy pool party outfit is so good. I thought he looked awesome in his like millennial... um, Who's the fucking cocaine's a hell of a drug guy? Rick James outfit. When he's got the dreadlock wig and he's got oh my the, God. the one shirt on, the, the space age shirt. I was like, that's a look. That's a look for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so this movie just like, I say that every movie is the best movie ever. That's something that I constantly am getting shit for. But like. You are not to throw that out. 
<laughs> I mean it every time I say it. I'm going to say, though, straight up, Boogie Nights is the best movie ever, and it's my actual favorite movie. And right off the bat, such a good intro. Oh, my God. The intro scene, the tracking shot through the whole club. Like, oh, yeah. It's, like, one of the best scenes, I feel like, in, like, any movie ever. Like, it's so fucking good. Great song. Immediately gets you pumped. You're, like, thrown right into the world. You're, like seeing all the characters getting a little touch at everybody and i love so much okay so like i love when you're just thrown into the middle of a conversation i love when things feel like voyeuristic is one of my favorite like, yeah an organic so that was like sidetracked the best play i ever saw was like this weird ass play where they literally never gave you context for anything it was like every <laughs> scene started in the middle of a conversation and it was called baby teeth by ava geyer and it was at the wagner new play festival and it was amazing but i like still like years later think about this play all the time because you would literally just start a conversation halfway through the conversation and then at no point did they ever feel the need to throw you in so the whole time you're like okay well, what were they talking about you know i loved it boogie nights is doing that oh hey did you call that girl oh yeah you need to call her oh hey what's up with that you know like you're just catching these little snippets of conversation and i love that even though in the script i feel like it doesn't feel that good because i've read the script of boogie nights too and all these little rando lines it just sounds like a little half-assed line but like in in the moment when like the actors are giving it their spin like it's so fucking and Roller Girl having to pee, like, just all these little random things. She's like, I can't finish this conversation. I have to pee, you know? And I'm just like, that's relatable right there. So you got all that stuff going on. Um, well, and doesn't doesn't Jack, after after um, after Eddie turns him down, doesn't he send Roller Girl back there to, like, blow him, but also, you know, report back on, is this kid, like, super well hung? Recon. Yeah, do some recon. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit later on. Well, I know when he comes over, like when he gets kicked out of his house and he comes over and he essentially auditions for him, they have sex on the couch. But I remember in the club, like she goes, she goes back there in the club and goes down on him. Oh God. And that's an example of some of Heather Graham's worst acting. I gotta say, I don't like her. I like her. I think she's cute. I think she has a great look and a great vibe, but like, I think she's a really bad actor. One of the worst line deliveries of all time. <laughs> hey, remember me from a couple hours ago? I hate that. When she's driving by in the car and he's like walking home and they're like, oh, hey, come on. Oh, no, I'm good. And then she just pops her little head out and says that terrible line. Yeah. Her acting in Austin Powers is horrible. That's for comedy oh, yeah. crap, you fatty. Like, it's just, I cannot handle this delivery. I think that's why she was kind of a little perfect in the role that she plays in the first Hangover movie because it's almost like she's making fun of the kind of actress that she is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's for another day. Oh, yeah. We'll circle back to that. No, I, I want to say, though, that Burt Reynolds, every time I watch this, I understand specifically why this movie was such a big deal, not only for what it was, but for what it did for Burt Reynolds' career. Because Burt Reynolds was somebody that was a has-been. Nobody wanted to see fucking anything that he was in. And I can't imagine this movie without Burt Reynolds. He's so perfect in his I role. I love Jack so much. Jack Horner is my celebrity crush. Like, literally, top of my list is him in this movie. And he's got to be the purest character in this entire movie because he wants one thing. And that is he wants to turn people fucking into art. 
That's all he wants to do. And everything else keeps getting in his way. And he's just like, look, I don't want to fuck with any of this shit. I don't want to fuck with you. I don't want to fuck with you. I want a fucking good-ass actor. I want a good-ass actress. I want to film some hot fucking sex. And I want to put that shit out there. I don't want to put it on VHS. I want to keep it on fucking film because I'm a fucking auteur. And that's all he wants to do. He's And he's so put upon. And, like, Burt Reynolds is so good in just playing that role of just like, what the fuck have I got to deal with now? God, just, like, the cool, collected, like, power that he has in every scene. Like, he's so goddamn hot. Like, I cannot even handle it. Like, oh, my God. Like, you brought up when Dirk and Roller Girl are getting down, you know? The way that that scene plays out, like, oh, my God. So just to catch everybody up to speed. (laughs) Dirk is like, yeah, I'm good. I got to work, you know? I can't. Because I think he's insecure. And now that, like, he's actually about to get what he wants, he's like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't know if I can handle it, you know? And then Roller Girl comes in and blows him. And he's like, okay, I can definitely handle those. Like, we got this. So Dirk, Roller Girl, Jack, and Amber are, like, at a diner hanging out. And this is when Jack gives his great monologue of, like, wanting to create the perfect film. And, like, just so, like, how could you not want to work with this guy? Like, I'm like, tell me what you need me to do. Like, and so then they go back to the house. And, like, I love Jack and Amber's whole, like, dynamic too that they're like a couple but like she's in the movies and like they have separate rooms but they love each other and like they yeah. just, they're just cool I like them she's like alright I'm gonna go to bed you know and then Jack is like alright let's let's see this happen and Roller Girl has to first put on her signature song which I love like she's like oh if I'm gonna get down I gotta curate my playlist which like very relatable <laughs> <laughs> I, and that was actually one of my like most like badass moments I feel like because I was meeting with an actor and I went to a have her meet me at a bar where you could do the jukebox on your phone and I queued up like an hour and a half's worth of songs of like all the songs that make me feel confident yeah. so that when she walked in like I was like already in my element and knew that I would be for the next hour and a half like, you had your little Burt Reynolds mustache yes okay like, come on over here dog. that which I mentioned earlier of me being every character in this movie <laughs> I started out as Scotty okay <laughs> that's why he breaks my heart so much because I feel like for years that was me like someone who's really uncomfortable someone who is not confident who's like not necessarily pulling off their look who's like doing film and theater and like being around this kind of stuff but like feeling like the least attractive person in the room the least talented person in the room like just on the outskirts like I want to be in here you know but I'm this and like I felt like that for a very long time. And then I entered my Dirk era where I was like, okay, I got this. Like, I actually am kind of talented. Like, I'm, all right, I can do this, you know? I'm ready to fuck, so let's fuck. Let's but shoot also, it. like, could not emotionally handle feeling good. And, like, <laughs> definitely having something to prove. And then I started to enter my Jack era where I'm like, I've got all these projects going. I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. And like now, as I mentioned in our uh, previous conversation, teasing it, I feel like I'm still in my Jack era and I don't plan to fully release that, but I'm shifting. I got a little bit of Jack going on and a little bit of Bucks check, settling down, making a family, but still being at the porn party house. Like, wow, she has a kid and is doing oil paintings and shit. So like, I feel like everybody here, it's still evolving. I love it. (laughs) But anyway. As long as you don't become the Colonel. 
oh god yeah let's not <laughs> he's actually the one non-sympathetic character in this movie yeah <laughs> fuck that well guy. and that's if if i'm gonna level criticism on the movie i guess since we we talked about him uh this is a good opportunity to do it but having immersed uh myself into this time period like really learning a lot about the seedy undervalley of everything I do feel like one of the areas that this movie could have gone deeper but didn't was in, like, exploring that a little bit more. I think it acquits a lot of the characters off pretty easily. Because, like I said, with Jack, he he's almost single-minded in what he wants to do. He's not about exploiting anybody. Like, he'll take no as an answer. Like, it's not the answer he wants to hear. But if someone says, hey, no, I don't want to do this. He's like, okay, fine. You don't have to do this. And, you know, in the moment to where... Dirk is having his freak out and they they have their their break. He recognizes that like, hey, you're in no mindset to perform right now. So I'm pulling the plug on this and I know that's not what you want to hear. But so he's a good character in that way. Even someone like Roller Girl, like they don't explore anything that went into, you know, how she got to where she is at such a young age. And then also why she has such violent rage inside of her. You understand that something's there, but they don't really get into that. The Colonel... Like I said, they go into the fact that he's giving underage girls, you know, drugs in order to exploit them. And then also he's involved in child pornography. So he's a fucking bad guy. And they show like horrible shit happens to him. But even when it came to like their recreation of the Wonderland murders, Dirk and Reed, they don't like they aren't above ripping off this drug dealer. But it's very clearly established that it's like out of desperation, out of necessity. And when uh, Thomas Jane's character wants to push it a little bit further, they're like, dude, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, we don't want any part of this. Like, we're sorry that, like, a gunfight broke out here. Which, with the real-life John Holmes, that was not the fucking case at all. I do understand that if the film kind of pushed more into that, like, even something like when Scotty comes on to Dirk and the way that Dirk forcefully but fairly gently like lets him down i put that in my notes that i feel like dirk is so is so compassionate i yeah skipping around a lot though you know for something like that it's just like you you really get the sense that maybe it would have happened like this but like it takes a big person to to behave like that you know this movie could have definitely gone darker they could have had a lot of moral ambiguity to the characters to where it's like you see them doing good things but you also see them doing very terrible things Dirk's the one character where you see him. And other than the donut shop scene with Buck, like, that's about the grayest that his character gets. Ultimately, like, everybody in this movie is kind of like, they're good characters. Wait, so what then about the colonel? You wanted... Well, no, no, no. It's just that that when they when they do expose the colonel as being like a really bad guy, like that's kind of the lone character who's a really bad guy. Like Dirk goes to some dark places and he makes some bad choices, but you all understand that's all part of his journey as a character in order to come out as a better person on the other side. So just like knowing all of the kind of like backstories in porn at that time, it's just kind of like everybody is a little neat and tidy for like what the reality was for these people. And I'm just saying that, like, for me as a person who likes kind of that dark, you know, shit, that's what I would prefer. But I understand, like, why this movie didn't want to go there, because then it would be a lot harder to, like, reach the amount of people that it did. Well, I think also, like, ultimately, I've been saying, you know, I think that the tone of this movie is uplifting and empowering. And so I think what they're going for for this was, like... That, you know, you have these people who find themselves in these dark situations and who've had these, like, gnarly experiences, but, like, ultimately they are, quote-unquote, good people and, like, they 
come together and find the strength to power through this stuff. And even when you have a character who's, like, a real piece of shit like that, like, Jack immediately is like, all right, you're fucking done. He hangs up the phone, he walks away, and, like, that's, like, the last we see of them interacting. Which is 100% the right thing to do. Unfortunately, I know that in real life, there are a lot of people that will, you know, sometimes go to the fucking grave defending people that they know are absolute pieces of shit. That's, That's also something that if you watch the movie multiple times, you might start to pick up on stuff like that. But your first, like, couple of viewings through, you're just going to be like, oh, wow, this is a super interesting movie. Yeah. You know, there is what's-his-name's character who ends up shooting his wife because he keeps getting cuckolded. Dude, we could just go through the movie. You just (laughs) said every major point, and everyone's like, how did we get to any of these points? (laughs) So scooching back, Dirk and Roller go bang. Jack just sits there with a cigarette like a badass, which is just, like, the coolest thing in the world. And then Dirk goes home, and that's the night that he gets kicked out. He gets into a fight with his mom. What were you doing home late? What are you doing? Like, I know you got crusty sheets. I got a problem with this, you know? And so he's like, all right, I'm out. And then the next morning, he's showing up at Jack's house for this party. Um, that's the great scene where he meets Reed, where they have their fun interaction, which I just love, like, the dynamic between them. Like, Here's something, too, that I didn't think about too much until I watched... The short film that Paul Thomas Anderson made back in 1988, the Dirk Diggler story, you know, in that the characters are named the same, but he emphasized the fact that they did have a uh, homosexual relationship with each other. That is very interesting. Okay, so so back to Dirk Diggler's story, tell... Tell the people about this amazing Okay, Dirk Diggler's story, 1988. Was he in high school when he made this? I don't know. It feels... There's like, like a, it might be the case. There's like a note like that on on um, the, the video description. You can go on YouTube. You can find it. Originally, it was only included as an extra with the laser disc release of this movie, which uh, tells you like how, how old this movie is, um, how long it's been around. But he was, he was a lot younger when he made this movie. And Dirk Diggler was played by the actor who is in the record store um, at the beginning oh, of the movie. That I didn't know that. Tells Buck kind of to fuck off because he doesn't like his country western vibe. So in and that, like, it's Dirk Diggler. playing the colonel is playing Jack. Yeah, the actor that who plays the colonel plays Jack. And I think there's at least one other actor who ends up playing a role in this movie, but it's like a very small role. That was like a 30-minute, very amateurish, like shot on VHS movie that was sort of a recreation of the John Holmes biography documentary. He made this, and it was very similar kind of story arc to what eventually became like Dirk Diggler. Of course, you know, Boogie Nights goes into so much more detail, and there's so much more depth to it. One of the interesting things about it, though is the song that Dirk's singing when he breaks off on his own and he's trying to become a pop star, The Touch, which is from the 1986 Transformers movie. But in this short film, that's the same song that he sings. I love that. Like, because this little movie, I mean, that sounds derogative right there, a little movie, but you know what I mean. Like, it small, is a little it's movie. A small, it's a short it's film. It's a short film and it's a small scale, it's small budget bouche. project. I, like, it's very much just like, I have an idea, me and my group of friends are going to film this at our house. That is so inspiring to me, too, because, like, honestly, it's, like, not very good, you know? And then this 
became Boogie Nights. Yeah, it's um, like you can you can make this little piece of shit that nobody will ever see, and then almost ten years later, make this big, critically acclaimed, award-winning film, and then that little piece of shit gets included as a little tidbit. On I that love film. that though, and I love that he wanted to do that song in that scene because it's like I, I'm just imagining him like as now they're putting together Boogie Nights, and what he's if like the whole reason he's like that was the funniest part. Like we have to put that in. Like we have. He to watched go. two years prior to making. And he watches the Transformers movie, and that song comes on, and like the spark goes off in his brain. I gotta do something and that's, with this. That's like the creation of the entire Dirk Diggler Boogie Nights universe, which you know, us as a as a podcast is somewhat of an extension of that. <laughs> All because of I forget what his name is. Um, it's like Bush something Bush, but yeah, he's he's the person who wrote and sings the Touch. You got the touch. Dun, dun, dun. You got the power. That song's fucking awesome, though. It is a good song. It's so cheesy. And That's what makes it so killing good. Killing it. <laughs> no, he's not. That's what's perfect <laughs> yes, about he it. Is. Well, because in Dirk, in the Dirk Diggler story, like when he's singing, and I don't know if they're just using the actual vocals from the song. Or if the actor who's playing Dirk is a good singer. Yeah, is actually doing a good job of singing it. But, you know, that's something I've always loved about Boogie Nights is they made it a point to show that, like, dude, it didn't matter if they got the master tapes or not. Fucking Dirk Diggler was never going to make it as a singer. He cannot fucking sing. Which is even funnier because he's played by Mark Wahlberg, who at the time was more famous for being Marky Mark than he was for, you know, being like Mark Wahlberg, the actor. The, hey, how's your mother guy? You know what this Dirk Diggler story also really reminds me of? What? Coming soon. Yes. <laughs> I would like to think that we're a little bit better than that. But I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, like, you know, one day when you do make the full Coming Soon movie. I want And then to. Coming Soon is the actual trailer for Coming Soon the movie. But then it's like a legit movie and it's like, why was that the trailer? <laughs> Sandy Somerset. <laughs> okay, so that was a short film that we made. What it's been like two years now at this point, which yeah. is crazy to think about. But um, no, almost three years because we we shot it in spring of twenty twenty. Oh shit! Wow, time is moving hard. <laughs> I know it's really it's really crazy to think about. But yeah, uh, you can actually go on YouTube. Good Vibe Cinema is the YouTube channel where you can find coming soon a fake trailer shot on real film and. That film was inspired by Boogie Nights because we, so basically what happened there, and you know what, I'm going to just let it be at this point. This episode is going to just, we're going to just go off the rails. Oh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm imagining everybody to this, they've already seen Boogie Nights. I hope everybody has seen Boogie Nights. But anyway, so I entered the straight eight contest. I just got a Super 8 camera, and I hadn't really done anything with it. And the challenge is you have to make a short film on one roll of Super 8 film, and you have to send it in and have it delivered and developed out there, and you don't even get to see it. And so it's like this like exciting thing, like one take, just like make it happen. Yeah, right? all, all editing's done in camera, shoot it in sequence, go. You can't even have sound because the Super 8 film is silent, so you have to send in your audio track without having seen your film. Um, so... I just signed up for it and I was like, I'll come up with something. And then it was like <laughs> two weeks before we were going to do it or whatever. And like, I had not come up with anything and I was watching Boogie Nights and it's the angels in our town. It's their movie, you know, and I'm just watching it. And I'm like, God, I wish I could just make 
make this movie? And then Michael's right there and he's like, why don't you just make that movie then? He has a point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's now gotten to the point where we're like, we'll start talking about... God, this one character should have their own movie. And it's like, why don't we just make that movie? Just make that movie. We got a whole <laughs> list. We have a whole log to get through. But yeah, so Coming Soon was a trailer for a fictional 70s porno. And I want to make this movie. Like, we storyboarded an entire 90-minute film so that we could make a trailer for it. <laughs> and like, I think at some point this movie does need to be made. Well, it's got such a great classic porno plot to it. And it's basically uh, someone's going around town. They've been killing all the vibes. And so now Dr. Sammy Somerset's got to go out and try and set the vibes right. And <laughs> there's the great prop, which you can see if you if you watch through some of the reels and shots that we've made um, on the Vibe Talking Instagram. But the vibeometer will yes. make an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you've ever seen that, uh, which basically it's, it's a tube of suntan lotion. That has uh, little red lights glued to it, and what are the? What it are actually the... lights up though. Yeah, There's lights going through it. It's functional. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to actually read the vibes, but you can mess with it and, and kind of like manipulate it to do that. But yeah, if you've ever seen that, and you're just like, huh, what's this all about? Elf? You have it's, to watch the movie. Yeah, it's a little see. bit of vibe talking, good vibe cinema lore. <laughs> all right, oh, so. Man. Back to Boogie Nights. Uh, where did we... We're still at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got... So, we're so at the Reed, party. We're at the party. Reed, and, uh, Reed and, and Dirk. And this is before he's renamed himself as Dirk. But this is like the start of their little relationship. Yeah. Um, it's also the introduction to Scotty, which is, like, so funny and so good. So the colonel's 15-year-old girlfriend just overdosed, and they're dragging her fucking dead body out. Oh, awesome. Well, she's not dead yet. (laughs) She's about to be. Yeah. Her shoes... She's like, oh, my God, is she all right? She was, like, my inspo for my outfit that I was wearing the other day to that pool party. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I had the little crocheted, like, jacket and the, like, wooden platform heel. When they're dangling her leg and her foot is flopping around, I'm like, that's the shoe! Those are the shoes that I just got! That's, That's when you know you're a real fan, when, like... Outfits that you wear in your real life are a reference back to (laughs) side characters, side, side, side characters in in another movie. So they're like dragging her out back while Scotty is walking in and he's just like, oh, what's going on here? Everything all right? And like, (laughs) then he sees Dirk and it starts playing You Sexy Thing. And it's like the light like zooms in on him, like everything's like black, and it's just like zoomed in light on Dirk, and he's like, hoo and then like walks over there, and he's like, hey, what's up? Like, oh, you do film? That's cool. I do film too. Like, I work on some of the films sometimes. <laughs> I love him. I love him. I hate that that was me for so long. That's one of the memories that really sticks out for me. The first time I watched the movie, because I, I feel like. The girl that who ends up ODing earlier in the scene, it shows her walking in and she's like, she's like, oh, you guys got some coke? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, get in on this. And then it cuts to like five minutes later and she's like fucking ODing and spazzing That's on the floor. That's such a good line delivery. Is there any coke at this party? Like, I love that. <laughs> like, literally, Jack's like, hi, nice to meet you. And she just says it. Like, says Cast no. her as roller girl. Dude, yeah, she was great. <laughs> but I remember like watching that as like this fucking sheltered 17-year-old in fucking rural Texas for the first time. And that just kind of like freaking me out a little bit. And I was like, 
fuck, man. Like, I don't want to do cocaine if it's going to make you do that. It's a little scab. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're walking. They're going through the gate. They're like, hold that gate open. And they're going past Scotty. And Scotty's like, oh, my God, is she all right? And he's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he's, he's like, like okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for being concerned. <laughs> And then he immediately forgets because he sees Dirk and he's just like, look at that bulge. <laughs> a few scenes later, you have the first time that, that he's on set oh and he fucking drops his, his pants. And they made it a point to cut to everybody's oh, visual it. reaction to seeing his that. fucking dick for the first time. I love but when they get to Scotty, it's Scotty like literally like shudders while he's holding the boot. He's like hyperventilating. I love oh, Becky, like, oh. turning her head, like, dramatically shifts her whole body to look at it. I love so that. so over the top. It's so I think funny. Burt Reynolds is, like, the only one who, like, doesn't have a reaction. He's just like, just shoot the fucking He's shit. He's like, I know He's that like, I've already good. seen it. He's like, I cast that dong. I know. I paid $10 to touch it. <laughs> I like the Pulp Fiction voice. I don't need to tell me how fucking big this dong is. Okay? I cast this dong. I know it's big. All right? <laughs> And then also, like, that's kind of the reintroduction of one of his many superpowers. Because, you know, you got, like, Superman. And Superman's got x-ray vision. And he's also got heat rays that come out of his eyes. And he can fly. And he's impenetrable. And he's got super strength. So for, like, Dirk, he's got giant fucking dong. He's got young Mark Wahlberg's body. And he can not only come on command... But if he blows his load, he can come again in like two minutes. He's a very talented guy. I'm just the say, fucking loads just are constantly generating inside. Another superpower that he has is that he's just a very considerate man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I love it. Like, he's just so, like, sweet and, like, polite. Like, okay, so he comes on set and it was the night before at the party or whatever. He comes up with the name Dirk Diggler. Yeah. And I actually love this too because it's like, I'm just picturing this name and it's and like a neon sign and it's like this made me it's think so of sharp and I noticed this too he says he's like it's the name's so sharp it's like it's gonna cut glass and I thought of that in Ted I remember watching that Mark Wahlberg says McFarlane movie at the movie yeah. theater and when he says cunt he's like oh that word was just too sharp you know, and like watching that in the movie theater, I was like, it's so sharp, cut glass. Like, I just like thought about it. Like, I was like, that's gotta be a Boogie Nights reference, right? Like, I don't know. Anyway, yes, the neon sign is fabulous. I want that Dirk Diggler neon sign in my house. It's, it's so like, cool. <laughs> With the fireworks. So cool. yes. It's awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> And so uh, he's, you know, he says, he's like, that's me now, I'm Dirk Diggler. And like that day on the set, like Jack is like, has it in the script or whatever. He's like, Eddie. And he's like, hey, can you actually just like only call me Dirk from now on? And also Jack being super sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. My bad. You know, yeah. and then it never comes up again. Like, but just I love that they wanted to include that interaction. Like it just shows that like both of them are like really thoughtful. And then when Jack is talking to Dirk, like, okay, we're going to do the scene. You've never done something like this before. This is how it's going to go. You know? And he's like, are you cool with that? Like, do you want to rehearse it? Like, are you comfortable just going right to it? And immediately he turns and says to Amber, his scene partner, is that okay with you? Everybody's checking in with each other. I'm like, what a like respectful, healthy set. 
I love and, this. And I think part of that, too, was very intentional on Paul Thomas Anderson's part because I think he was trying to put across the impression to viewers that, like, hey, these aren't inconsiderate, like, devil-worshipping, like, heathens. Like, these are real people. And they take what they're doing very seriously in the same way that mainstream actors do. Having this scene, like, so early in the film... I feel like was intentionally trying to establish that in people's minds so that they're not just thinking of all of these characters as like cardboard cutouts, but like these are real people and like what they're doing is a real job. Like it's not just, you know, I'm going to slap my thighs up against her thighs and call it a day. It's like, no, this is me doing this sex scene is as important as like me delivering this monologue and causing you to feel something. I love that. And just their whole squad is just flowing together so nicely. I love that. I also love the scene that they're doing because this was very inspiring to me too. Like watching the, they haven't made the really good movie yet, you know? Yeah, like, they're still this making movie's kind of not that shitty, good, forgettable like, movies. And I'm like watching it and I'm like, I feel like we could do this. And then I'm like, you know what? Like, I need to just have some confidence and just start putting some shit out there. You know, like, we can make this today if we wanted to. (laughs) I love, though, when they're showing the sex scene through the camera. I think that is so hot and so, like, badass. It looks so fucking good. And I love just the little realness of it. Like, Amber goes to take her ponytail out, but her hair doesn't all the way fall down. So her hair is, like, half in a ponytail the whole time. And, like, she just kind of leaves it. Like, I love that. Well, and, like, so many people have, like, cool names in this, too. Because Jack Horner is a great name. I mean, Eddie, Eddie Adams isn't a very cool name, but, like, Dirk Diggler... Man, when this fucking movie came out, it was junior year of high school for me. So senior year of high school, once all my friends had seen this movie, so many people were climbing over themselves. They're like, no, 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 my nickname's Dirk Diggler, you know? (laughs) Message boards, you know, like, I'm Dirk Diggler 007 and shit like that um, up through college. But like Amber Waves, like that's such a cool name. I mean, like, Scotty's got, like, the most, like, basic-ass name out of everybody. But, like, Reed Rothschild. That's a good name. Which, it's hilarious because he's Dirk Diggler. But then when they create the Brock Landers series, it's like, Brock Landers feels like a step backward. Yeah. I know. Chest Rockwell is great, (laughs) though. I love that. Oh, my God. Okay. That is something. So, there's a scene where they're coming up with their characters, you know, and they're, like, Jack is like, okay, so do these characters have names? Yeah, Brock Landers and his partner, Chess Rockwell. And just Jack's, like, just <laughs> his laugh feels so real. Like, he just kind of smiles and, like, it, it's almost like a giggle. And then he's just like, these are great names. <laughs> I love that. And I say that at work all the time, like, when we're doing, like, deliveries and we look at the people's names. Like, anytime someone has, like, alliteration in their name or anytime anyone, I'm like, these are great names. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so are we at the point now to where we're talking about them pitching the the Brock Landers series? I think we need to be. We do need to be. Yeah. What was interesting about that, and that was the vibe-talking effect when I rewatched this movie. I'd heard them say this before, but I'd never, like, caught the reference they're making. Yeah. And so when he's pitching this, he starts talking about Johnny Wad, 
which is the John Holmes character, which From is the Jade Pussycat. If you've listened to the episode, yes, previous episode, go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. But he not only says that, but he talks about how Johnny Watt is a misogynist character. He abuses women, and then he says something about Holmes specifically. I don't, I didn't write down specifically I what he says about Holmes. That Dirk Diggler hates John Holmes. Too. Yeah, fuck this guy. <laughs> And I thought that was, like, super interesting because, like, I, I, I did the whole, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, point at the screen thing yes. when that happened. Because I was just like, but John Holmes is who Dirk Diggler is directly based on. And they're referencing him in the movie that is sort of about John Holmes himself. So I thought that was kind of funny and weird in, like, a meta sort of way. I love that, like, I feel like Boogie Nights is, like, the good timeline. Like, we have Dirk replacing John Holmes, who's less of a piece of shit. Yeah. We're Which, in the cursed timeline where we didn't get him. Going back to earlier, when I was criticizing this movie for not being dark enough for my personal taste, that's the reason, like, this is meant to be, like, what if, like, John Holmes wasn't a terrible piece of shit? What if he was kind of a chill guy who just kind of fucked up a little bit, but then learned from his mistakes? That's Dirk Diggler. I love him. Not John Holmes. I love Dirk Diggler. I also just really, really quickly have to say, when he's banging Amber and they're doing the scene and she says, Oh, John, you're a wonderful actor. I love (laughs) that. I think it's so funny. That's what I want someone to say to me in bed, that I'm a wonderful actor. (laughs) What that scene made me think of, though, is that one John Leslie movie we watched where, like, John Leslie gets hired. I think it was the one where he gets hired. Oh, God. Champagne for breakfast. Yes. That's horrible. We're not even doing an episode. It's just so stupid. We can't even (laughs) handle that. But when he first, like, goes in and visits the... uh, She's not a casting director. She's not even an agent. I think she's just, like, like a temp. temp. Yeah. She runs a temp agency, but, like, he ends up, like, banging her. And I was just like, this feels like it's that scene. Because <laughs> she's just like, well, before I send you out to set, I have to make sure, do you have the goods? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have the goods. And it's whoop. Crushing it. I love that, too. She's like, like, that's the scene that they're doing is, like, that she's she's casting for a film. And she's like, she's like if this next film isn't a huge hit, I'm going to be kicked out of my apartment. My landlord's a real jerk. And it's like, <laughs> how long is it going to take from the casting to, like, making the movie and distributing it and, like, getting any sort of profit? She's just invested a lot of her own funds in this. If she doesn't get those funds back, she's no longer going to be able to cover her rent. She's fucking screwed. She's an this independent movie isn't a big guy. Yeah, yeah. She finances her own stuff. <laughs> No, it's sort of like the, the coach in uh, Star Virgin and that one vignette in Star oh, yes. Virgin where he's like, if we lose the Super Bowl, they're going to fire me. And it's like, but you got him to the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, what else? What else? Um, well, like at this point, like there's there's a lot of good times that are happening. Um, yes. A lot of funny times, too. Okay. So this is a whole montage of like Dirk, like starting to be successful and like Dirk and Reed and Scotty are all getting like matching shirts, which I think is so <laughs> funny and cute. Dirk is like so adorable, like just bragging to Roller Girl. Like, and then I got these shoes and they're like Italian leather. And then I got this shirt and the pattern's so complicated. <laughs> I was thinking about I went that. shopping at the store called Dan Flashes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, I think you should leave. Okay. So a couple years ago, Jack's awesome house was like being sold, like in real life. 
And like it was like $1.5 million, which I'm like, that's wow, a great price, five? right? Yeah. And we're living in San Diego, so that's the price of like a regular shit house. So like the Boogie Nights house <laughs> is $1.5 million. And like I just kept saying the part on I think you should leave. They say I spent all my money on the Garfield house, but it came fully furnished. Do you remember that one? <laughs> Yeah. My house, the Boogie Nights house, it's a real party house. <laughs> you have to stage interventions there just to get people to come over. Your house is kind of far, right? It's in Torrance. <laughs> you know how far that is from Reseda? <laughs> Take it three hours on the bus. It's worth it, though. It's worth it. It's that good. It's fully furnished. <laughs> what you didn't say. <laughs> Oh my god and then we also have one of my other favorite quotable lines is um becky becky barnett which i just gotta say nicole airy parker as becky barnett looks so good i remember the first time i watched this i thought she looked so good she still good. to this day i'm like man she looks fucking i mean she still looks great today nicole I airy I parker i don't know what she looks like now I haven't yeah seen now her. she's got now she's got like a, a short haircut man she fucking aged so wonderfully like she's a very beautiful like she looks so good in this movie her conversation with Buck is so funny when he's talking about, he's complaining about his outfits and nobody likes his look. And she's like, you got to find a new look, Buck. This is not working. <laughs> and he's like, my look is great, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, uh, well, you know, and he's like, he's like, well, what about you? You know, what's your look? I have a look. Okay. My look is just fine. Well, what's your look? <laughs> Chocolate love. Like, she has like a name for the look. Like, so then there's another scene where like, she's at a bar and like some guy comes up and he's like, Hey, what's your name? And she's like, Becky Barnett. And he's like, what? Becky Barnett. <laughs> They're like in a loud bar. <laughs> I think that's so funny. See, when they, when they make the Buck movie, like she she's got to be a character. Yes. Um, she also says one of my favorite lines. He's like, they're talking about their signs, you know? And she's like, I'm a Pisces. And the guy says, oh, I don't get down with no Pisces. And I'm like, my ex husband's a Pisces. So I think that's so funny to say that. <laughs> I don't get down with no Pisces. <laughs> Well, it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because, like, later on, because um, she ends up getting married to that guy. Yeah. He's and then she's guy. telling everyone, because he, when he tells her what he does, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I work in the uh, film industry. She's like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I work in automotive. And she's like, really? And he's, he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm an assistant manager for advanced auto parts or something like that. <laughs> and then when they get married... They start telling everyone, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be moving to uh, Bakersfield. Like, they're all excited about it. And I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. This might be the most tragic thing in this entire fucking movie. No, wait, just because Moving to Bakersfield? <laughs> have you ever been to Bakersfield? No. Oh, it sucks. Oh, wait, really? Like, People who have been to Bakersfield that are listening to this, they're, they're, they're like weeping right now. They're just like, <laughs> no, not Bakersfield. That's another thing that could have been darker in the film. Um, actually, in the script, like, her husband ends up being, like, super so and oh like really it takes a whole nother uh, turn which i'm you know what i'm glad we don't need that i like that everybody things work out <laughs> well it's already yeah like again i was calling for it to be darker material but the stuff that every time i watch this i immediately remember that what's his name and i don't know why i'm blanking on the actor's name hmm. god okay we got to talk about that william h macy william h macy god i could only think of john c Riley. <laughs> 
But yeah, William H. Macy, because he's just got that sad fucking puppy dog face. So we didn't even talk about this character at all, Bill. Okay, some of my other favorite scenes are, because this this movie does a great job of, like, the tone shifts, you know? And that, what happens with him, like, really kicks off, like, the second half of the movie where shit is a lot darker. But, like, basically, he's, like, the lighting guy, and I love movies that talk about movies so the conversations about like all right so we're actually going for a more uh, minimal shot well is it natural lighting or is it minimal lighting well photographically it's you know and they're just like talking about like yeah yeah give it to me tell me about the lights like, that's the shit that film nerds are like beating off to like, yeah. Oh, yeah talk about the fucking shadows talk about the shadows i love it and so there's this part where it's at the pool party like his wife is just fucking around you know and like she has like dudes banger in like his bed and he walks in and he's like what the fuck and she's like Bill, can you, like, close the door behind you, please? Like, she's just a bitch. Like, it's super lame. But also, I'm, like, so curious. Like, why are they together? Like, where? how did this even happen? Yeah. And so there's a part where she's literally banging some dude on the ground in the driveway at the party. And there's, like, a group of people standing around. Like, the director of photography comes up and starts talking to him. And he's like, oh, no. I mean, it's fine. If you have somewhere to be right now, you don't have time to talk about the lights. You know, it's just a really funny scene. No, like, the thing that he says back to him is, my wife's over there with an ass in her cock because <laughs> he's so flustered which apparently he, can't say it. he just like actually just fucked up the line but they just loved the way that that like okay. read and went with it which I think is great I think that's super funny I wondered if it was something like that because I'm like yeah if you're like really just upset and flustered you would totally say something like that and like not even realizing what you fucking said because it doesn't matter yeah and what's hilarious, though, is so he says that and then he walks off and then the guy that he was just talking to is just kind of like shrugs and he walks over to join the crowd. <laughs> no, that moment made me think about like, what if they did like a wet, hot American summer version of this movie? Oh. <laughs> you have a character like that and every time they go looking for her, she's fucking a different person. But that then like somehow funny. by the end of the movie, like her fucking a random person actually helps them out. Of a jam? That would be good. That would be very funny. Like, like I did keep thinking about it up until, like, it gets to the best parts of this movie. Man, it would be so funny to just have, like, a fucking absurdist, like, parody version of Boogie Nights. We should make that movie. Maybe we should add it to the list. (laughs) So that's where shit gets really gnarly, is it's, like, the end of an era. It's, like, a New Year's Eve party, 1980. And that character, Bill, shoots his wife and commits suicide. Then it, like, flashes on screen, like, gunshot, and then it's, like, 1980. And then, like, after that, like, everything just starts getting worse for, like, every character. I was taking a film class once where they were talking about that scene. Apparently, like, the test audiences loved it. Like, loved that he killed the wife because, like, she's been such a piece of shit the whole movie. When he turns it on himself, it's, like, all of a sudden, like, the energy just, like, changes. I feel like that, I mean, it changes the energy of the whole film, but like even within just that scene, it's almost like that's when, because it's like they've been playing with dark shit a little bit up until that point, but it's like everything still has been through this fun lens. And even like the wife getting killed, it's like obviously a murder is dark, but the audience is kind of having fun with it a little bit because it's like, oh my gosh, it's getting crazy. And then like to just really like put the fucking nail in the coffin, like no. Ah, this shit's not chill. Yeah, it's weird. It kind of plays with that, like, slasher mentality of women, if they're recklessly promiscuous, that if something bad happens to them, they brought it on themselves. But then to have the killer 
turn around and take themselves out too, that changes the whole dynamic of it because then it makes it more real without the suicide. Then it's just kind of like a morality tale. And for a lot of people, there's like a satisfaction to that right? Um, because of you know, sexual oppression in our society. But yeah, like that gives you the sign that like, hey, it's not all fun parties. It's not everybody's having like a fucking great time. Like there is a price to pay for the shit that's going on. For all these yeah. all these high times and shit, like there is also a downfall. Um, this is also when the actual saddest part of the movie happens. I'm a fucking idiot. The worst yes. part of the movie. Oh my god, that's the same party. Oh, it is. Everything starts going wrong at this party. Like that like wraps it up, but a lot of shit is happening here. So even before that we have um Dirk starting to get fucked up this is like the beginning of that spiral so he's at a party and amber takes him in the other room to do coke with him but like i found that such is a, that like, when she takes him away from from jesse yes, yes. Yeah. tell that tell that story you okay. have a good take here yeah so when i was watching it dirk's sitting there with jesse I don't think Jesse's got much screen time, if at all, before this moment. You can kind of tell that Jesse is putting out vibes. And then Amber comes out and she's like, she's like, hey, Dirk, come here, come here. And Dirk just kind of like cuts Jesse off, gets up, and he's like, he's like, I'm sorry, Jesse, I'll be right back. And then he, he gets up and walks away. And so it goes back to Jesse and it shows her kind of dejected. And that within that same moment, she kind of notices that Buck is in a similar place emotionally to her. He's sitting by himself, he's depressed and kind of dejected. And so she gets up and goes over and starts talking to him. And then, like, he's kind of had this moment where he's just like, I thought I had this cool new look, like this whole Rick James-inspired shit. He's like, but I just look like a fucking idiot. And he, like, takes off his his, uh, wig, and he's kind of feeling bad. But Jesse perks him up. And then that sparks their relationship. And so when I was watching it, I was like, okay, there's a lot of things going on in this scene, but very clearly one of the main intentions of of this scene is to take these two characters and bring them together and spark something new. The movie within a movie, Buck's story within the greater story of Dirk Diggler. Buck and Jesse are so cute. She is also so cute. Oh my God, her little like Audrey voice and like I love her. Oh my God. And all she wants to do is just sit with an easel and it doesn't matter what's going on. She just wants to paint stuff and her paintings fucking suck, but she loves doing them and everybody's super positive and they're just like, yeah, check out this cool painting that Jesse made for me. And they're just like, oh, that's awesome. Jesse made that. That's cool. I love it. They're such a great family. I love this movie. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so I feel like another moment here, I totally related to Amber in this particular scene. So what she's doing is she's feeling a lot of emotions. Like we find out, we I mean, we've already found out earlier in the film, like that she has a son that she's not allowed to really have a relationship with. Like she's got a custody battle with her ex-husband, like, and she's just had her own like ups and downs with the law, with drug usage. Um, her profession, which is getting a lot of judgment, you know? Yeah, and then um, this is, like, this is one of the moments to where the film, you know, points out that, hey, people look down on them for what they do. You know, people judge them, they judge their characters based on their profession, on what they what they do professionally, and what they're frankly good at. Because, because they're more open with their sexuality, society just can't fucking handle that. Yeah, and so you have this moment where Amber is feeling all that shit in the back of her head. She's at this party. She sees Dirk, and she just wants to 
she's not making a move. Like, they don't hook up or anything. Which that, I think, is interesting, too. Because, like, everybody in this movie, like, does hook up with each other. But, like, the nature of all these different relationships. Except for Scotty. Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. But, like, I think it's so interesting that, like, you know, Dirk and Amber do have sex with each other, like, many times. But, like, I don't think that her love for him is even, like, sexual at all. You know? Like, she loves him. It's a family thing, you know? And so she just wants to have a moment, like, away from the party, away from everybody else, to just, like, sit with Dirk, tell him that she loves him, and have, like, a shared experience and a connection, you know? And I think that's, like, so sweet. And, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I found myself in those situations, like, being at a party and being, like, do you want to go walk outside for a second? Do you want to, like, you know, like, I just want to, like, be here with you right now. It's sad that, like, that's the form that that ends up taking that night is, like, that she's doing coke with him and he's, like, never done that before. And she's like, oh, you're going to like this. This is really fun. You know? Like, it's really cool. Like, she's over here thinking she's doing, like, a nice thing for him. Like, oh, you're, like, we're going to just have, like, a super fun night together and that's going to make us, like, even closer. Um, And then it ends up really, like, fucking up his life and his career and, like, all sorts of different things. And so after he finishes that interaction, he runs into Scotty, who's like, I have to show you something, like, you know. And He's got, he got a new car. And he painted the car to look like Dirk's car, which is, like, so uncomfortable and so sad. And then he's like, he's like, oh, just even, like, because as they're, like, walking outside, Dirk keeps getting sidetracked. Like, people keep trying to talk to him. And Scotty's just like, okay, so, like, did you want to talk to me? And it's like, oh, yeah, 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 one second. You know, that's so uncomfortable. And then they walk outside and Scotty, like, kisses him. And it is the most not reading the room at all. The vibes are not flowing that way. And I put this in my notes, like, that Dirk is just so compassionate. Because, like, his first reaction is just like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, it was super sudden and, like, unexpected. Scotty just keeps kind of, like, rambling, like, you know, sometimes I thought that you looked at me, and then I thought this, and then, like, you know, like, and Dirk's just like, oh, yeah, like, man, I I love you, like, we should get back to this party, like, we're friends and everything's cool, you know, and, like, just really trying to be cool, and Scotty just keeps it going, but, like, what do you think, like, are you gonna kiss me or something, he's like, no, I think I'm gonna go inside, like, it's just so uncomfortable, and then he's like, yeah, I'm just, like, super hammered, like, what a wild party, right, like, you know, and then he like gets in his car and he's just like sobbing and just like I'm a fucking idiot like just repeating it to himself and like just it is one of the most uncomfortable scenes to watch like it's yeah. so because it, it feels very true to life if you've ever been on either end of that dynamic it's awful for both sides involved I mean except for like people that are like super creep fuck those people but if, if somebody who, like, has good intentions, but they just misread the situation, and you're just like, okay, this is, like, awkward and uncomfortable, and it feels awful, but I don't want to make you feel like shit. Like, you just, you miscalculated, and you have feelings, and I want to respect those feelings, but I also want to very clearly, like, say, like, hey, I'm not down for this, and I'm not going to fake it, because that's going to be worse than what this feels like right now. You know what this also really reminded me of? our taxi driver conversation of like why is scotty in this particular field why is this the type of film that he's doing why is is he drawn to this and like travis bickle like someone who does not understand social interactions who feels very much an outsider who doesn't know how to connect with people who is just painfully like 
destructively lonely and that's like his whole thing and like that that character like goes and watches porn in the movie theaters like not to jerk off but like to witness like connection and like to have a shared experience with the people in this room and to just see like visceral emotions happening and i feel like that's like scotty like I mean, I don't know. They don't really go into his backstory or anything, but, like, I could totally see this guy being, like, a virgin or being someone who has never felt confident enough with his own body and his own self to, like, explore certain things, you know? And, like, also being, like, gay in this time period and, like, not even knowing where to go with that, you know? So, like, for him, it feels good to just be around people who are, like, so open and expressive and... He wants that, like, so bad, but, like, all he can do is, like, stand on the sidelines with the microphone and try to be in proximity to what he wishes he was able to feel and experience. Yeah, and, like, Dirk could be someone for him that he wishes he could be that person, and that's sort of what drives his infatuation with him. I mean, you can totally have just this whole, you know, attraction to someone that isn't reciprocated. It just is purely based on, like... You like someone's look and you like their vibe. And even though they just aren't into you, like you can't help it. You're just all about them. When you finally get to that moment where you're just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to come out. I'm just going to say it. Like I'm going to put myself out there and then you get shot down. It's like, that's awful, but it's also very much needed because that's how you get past that point. And, um, you know, it's cool that like, Scotty doesn't get like kicked out or ostracized or anything like after that point. Um, but I know, I yeah, like it is. Just keeps it to himself and everybody's cool. Yeah, just that moment is like heartbreaking. A oh, horrible scene. And then we have a fucking murder suicide. And then it's like, all right. Oh, and, oh, and even, even sadder, Jack is told that now he has to shoot on VHS. So his life is ruined too. Like, yeah. Well, and this is, like, that's the furthest that the movie, I think, kind of gets into the politics that sort of shaped the porn industry and ended the golden age. But, um, you know, the the VHS, beta battles, um, because the big thing was, like, hey, like, you know, we, we can only get so many people, like, we can only do so many showings in a day for these movies and some some places like we can't get a theater like our theaters getting shut down um because of different laws and shit like that different censorship but if we start putting stuff on vhs and then people can watch it at home whenever they want to you know then then we sell a tape and you know we make like what we would have made off of the ticket you know we're not dealing with the theaters we're not having to split with them like if we're if we just work out a deal with our distributors or we become the distributors ourselves And that's where it creates a problem for someone like Jack, you know, like you have like our pantheon of directors that we really love, uh, Demiano, Spinelli, um, Bob Chin, you know, um, I don't know if they had kind of a similar sense whenever like there was the transition to VHS, but certainly the stuff that they were making, you know, exists on film. And to suddenly put it onto VHS, it becomes this different thing. Because then the experience is different. It's not this shared, like, communal experience. It's now very much, like, something kind of, like, shameful and private. And I do very much feel like there's just this shift. And obviously, entertainment has always had a financial component, you know? And, of course, they're trying to make money. That's how you're getting producers. Oh, yeah. That's how you... But I, I 
do feel like once tape kind of came around, it was very much about making money and like how many, how fast can we pump out as many movies as we can, you know? And you see that reflected in in the actual like stuff that gets put out there because then it became less about you know, making, I mean, they still continue, like even to this day, they'll still make fully scripted movies, but like everything suddenly became more about like, hey, let's just make a compilation of loops. That's going to satisfy the urge that would cause someone to buy this tape in the first fucking place. Plus, we can just reuse stuff that we've already shot. Yeah. Not to, not to like rush us too much along, like, this is the point to where the movie starts to delve more and more to the darker stuff. Because Dirk, like, that's his introduction to hard drugs. And things start to kind of spiral downward for him. The scene where he kind of has his uh, break with Jack. Oh, that's such a horrible scene. Yeah. It's very intense. And it's, I mean, it's some really incredible acting by by both Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg yeah. within that scene. Because it is... I mean, like, there is, like, shouting and there is a lot of, like, bravado of, like, you know, um, you know, fuck you, no, fuck you. But the way that they do it, like, there's a lot of, like, pain behind everything that they're saying to each other. Yeah. And you just, you see that nothing good is going to come of the the break in this relationship. But really, that was precipitated by um, Jack finding essentially a new version of Dirk in Johnny Doe. Well, okay, I feel like that is, like, complicated, too, because, like, I don't think that that's... Because Jack straight up says that he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Like, the colonel tells him, like, I'm not going to finance your shit anymore if you don't bring in some new actors and people don't want actors. They want they want the everyman. They want the, you know, which that was very much a trend shift, which, like, I, I personally hate. Like, I... You know, but they're, like, going for, like, a found footage or they're going for, you know, like, and I'm, like, I want it to feel like a movie, but, like, whatever, you know. So, I think that Jack is, like, not even stoked with any of these people. He's, like, okay, we need some new people. There we, here they are, you know. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's not the way that Dirk reads it at all. And also, like, that puts Jack in kind of a tough spot, too, because, like, Dirk is, like, fucked up. And, like, that's part of that confrontation is, you know, Dirk comes out and he's, like, you know, waving it around on set, like acting like a hotshot, you know, because he's insecure and also because he just spent like 45 minutes trying to get a boner and he's worried he's about to stop working, you mm-hmm. know? So he's like, we need to go right now, you know? And Jack's like, you need to fucking chill. And he eventually just says, he's like, dude, you look like shit. And he does. He's all sweaty. He's all skinny. Like, he's just, you know, Jack is in this like uncomfortable position where he's like, I care about you as a person. I respect you as an artist, but like, you are not producing good content right now. You are not enjoyable to work with right now. Like, and you're coming around acting like a douchebag. So you're out and it gets heated. And like, just, oh, when they're painting around the room and we have like Scotty like crying and Amber is like trying to, you know, like everybody is so hurt by this whole situation, you know, family's breaking apart. And I love kind of Reed coming in and he's like, Jack, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm going to handle this. Like, we're good. Reed also caring about both of them. Okay, like, this is my friend, but like, this is totally out of line. But also Reed being part of the problem because he's very much like enabling Dirk to do what he's doing. Because now, because Reed brought in his new buddy, Todd, who is like a douchebag and like a bad influence. Yeah. 
But that's also like something if you if you're kind of reading deeper into uh, what what the film is is the subtext of the film. But because Jack has become a de facto father figure for Dirk, you know, you reach that point to where the the son has reached a level of prowess to where he now feels confident to challenge his father. And that's exactly what he's doing. They're ready to fight each other. But Jack being the more mature person in the situation, as upset and angry as he is, understanding that, like, the thing I need you to do right now is to get out of here because this is bad for our environment. This is bad for what we're trying to do. And never thinking about, like, well, this is going to push him away permanently and then send him down this very dark path. Yeah. And down a dark path it does go. After Although that does take Yeah. <laughs> it does it does cut to him in the recording studio with you know the touch. <laughs> Which when you heard him singing that that didn't like strike your ears like ooh this is wrong. This is off. I didn't know when the song came out. I wasn't as familiar with it. It definitely sounds 80s to me, but like his outfit in the scene is very oh, yeah. 80s too, you know? And it's like, that's kind of... But it's like his singing is very off-key. I know it's not good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I know it's not good, though. I, th- I thought you were listening to it and you're like, yeah, man, I can get this into this. Slabs. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I could. How, but like, how would mean this good? not blow up? <laughs> But it's so funny too, like Reed coming in there and he's and when they're trying to get the masters and they're just like they're like, Yeah, this shit is like so good. Like this is gonna it's a guaranteed hit. And it's very much like that scene and I think you should leave. Yeah. Where he's oh just like it's right in your cue zone. Yeah. I also love they're like editing. Stop telling adults that they can be hits. They can make hits that they're going to be pop stars. Oh my god, also the Skeletons, Bones, Other Money song. <laughs> Billy as in him or Billy as in me? Like, You're also about. named Billy too? No, that's why I'm so fucking confused. Oh my god, when they're like recording and like they're editing it now and like Dirk's like, I think the bass is covering my vocals and they're like... Text- Which is a line that they say in the Dirk Diggler story. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I forgot it's been a minute since I've It's it. weird. It's almost like the same, like, He's of like, all the things the that they lifted. the scene and we yes. have to include it. Even though the, it does not totally match with what's going on in the film right now, we have to include <laughs> it. And the guy's like... And, and Dirk's like, yeah, I think you need to turn down the bass. And the guy's like, really? I think it's fine. And Reed's like, you heard him. Like, just this delivery of that, we're going to turn down the bass now. Like, it's just so funny. There's well, I love, magic on those tapes. I love in the scene, too, like, when they're standing in the doorway, like, trying to get the tapes. And then Dirk is just, like, he gets so fed up. And he's like, you know what I feel like right now? I feel like kicking a little fucking ass. And he gets to his karate stance. Oh, my God. When Amber's like, he has many interests. Art, poetry, karate. <laughs> That was something, yeah. I was when I was watching um, when when it's they're kind of showing him like when he's at his high points and he's got his house and he's got his Corvette and he's got his cool you know shoes from Italy and shit like that and like he's got his own little entourage with Reed and Scotty and I was just like how I was trying to do the math like like reverse inflation. To the seventies, like yeah, the late seventies. I'm like, how much was he getting paid that he's got all this shit? Because like knowing that someone like um, Harry, Harry Reid, twenty dollars, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing the catering for free just so he could like be part of the production. But once they get hooked up with Todd, two scenes that are 
Like, these are the scenes that have always stuck with me after watching this movie. There's this whole, like, sequence going on. Like, the way that this movie is paced and edited and everything, it's so well done. But uh, you've got Jack and Roller Girl, and, like, Jack is, like, struggling, like, trying to, like, transition to VHS because he doesn't have the Colonel's money anymore. He's got this other guy forcing him to, like, shoot on VHS. He's working with these, like, big, fake-tittied actresses. I mean, everything is performative. There's no passion to anything that's going on. And then they start doing the, the limo version of the bang bus with Roller Girl. Buck is getting turned down for loans, so he can't start up his business. And he's got a baby on the way. And he's freaking out because he's like, what am I going to do to support my family? Dirk is slipping further and further into uh, drug addiction. And he's kind of at the point to where he's gone back to his early days of hustling of like jerking off for like horny guys. Only this time he's like sitting in like a truck in like some empty abandoned parking lot in the middle of the night. It's a bad vibe. Yeah. And you could just tell like, I mean, the very first time I saw it and he gets into that truck, I was like, some bad shit's about to go down. And then, you know, those guys end up like attacking him and robbing him and everything. And like shit's just going bad for him. And then the fucking best scene in the whole fucking movie, the firecracker scene. Ooh. Holy shit. Just think that there's all this other shit that we've talked about, and we only are just now getting around to the so firecracker scene. Movie. And fucking the guy who is the, the drug dealer they're ripping off in the scene, mm-hmm. that is fucking Doc Ock himself. <gasps> oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's crazy. He's in so much fucking shit. But yeah, he's just... Like, he's so, like, out of his mind, like, just coke sweaty. When I talk about this film being very immersive, like, this is a scene that you fall headfirst into. You want to desperately, like, get out of the situation. And this is maybe one of the most tense scenes ever shot. Because they're sitting there and and you realize, like, everything is like a ticking clock. They're getting in there in order for this, you know, whole scam that they're trying to pull. Because what they're doing is they're selling him a brick of fake coke. And the plan originally is just to get the money from that and then go back and then they've got enough money to keep their whole little drug bender going. But instead, because fucking Todd Parker is this fucking, you know, wild card, uh, he decides like, you know what? We're not going. We're not going yet. And the whole time that this whole like back and forth is going on, you know, you've got the drug dealer's little um, boy toy running around just setting off fireworks. And he just keeps popping fireworks. And every time he pops them, you see both uh, Dirk and Reed, like, they keep just jumping because they're so fucking nervous. The bodyguard's sitting over there, and they know the bodyguard's carrying. He's got a couple of pieces on him. And they're like, they're like we got to get the fuck out of here because in any second now, this guy's going to fucking realize that we sold him fake drugs. And they're going to fucking, you know, they're going to shoot us or worse. And Todd Parker's just like, we're not going. We're not going. We're not fucking going anywhere. And fucking um, Doc Ock's having his own conversation over there. And then Todd Parker's just like, he's like, no, man. He's like, he's like, that's, that won't be all. That won't be all. He's like, we want what's in the fucking room. And then the fucking scene just goes off the rails. It's so fucking good and so dark. And at the same time, like, you've got the donut shop scene and the back of the limo with Jack and Roller Girl. It is the complete opposite vibe of what was going on in the first half of the movie. Very gnarly. Yeah, because it just it gets to it gets to this place to where nobody wants to be where they are. And it's not going to be an easy path for them to get out if they can get out at all. 
even when Roller Girl and Jack kick the shit out of her former high school classmates, nothing about that feels oh, good. That's such nothing an about that. Scene. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I also hate anytime anyone recognizes me from high school, so I understand why <laughs> she did that. I totally get it. Yeah. That's how I feel every time. <laughs> All you gotta do though is like move like fifteen hundred miles away from where you went to high school and then nobody will recognize you from high school. That's what I did. Yeah, that seems like a good thing. Fucking never run to anybody that I used to know. Oh, and Buck's scene is crazy too. The donut shop scene yeah. is crazy. But the thing that always kind of bothers me when I watch it is I'm like, okay, the gunman walked right past, like, Buck's wife is sitting in the car waiting for him to come back. And it's not like she's got, like, a cell phone she can get distracted by because those won't be around for another gun She's out. just sitting there watching the interaction. Yeah, she's just watching this guy, like, walk in, pull out a gun, and she just kind of sits there and just waits. I kind of feel like she didn't really see I don't know. Maybe she like dozed off or something while she was waiting. And then all of a sudden he comes back and he's got blood splattered so this and a fucking bag of cash. And she's just like, where's my fucking bear claw? <laughs> this is like a wild scene. So like he goes in, he's going to get donuts. This dude comes in, he's robbing the donut store. Buck's like, hey, I don't want any trouble. The guy's got the gun. And then the store owner shoots the guy. Right? No, it's not the store owner. So there's just a random customer that's sitting there and they really like wink at the viewer of this motherfucker's packing. This is a guy that's very big Second Amendment rights, you know. <laughs> and he's been waiting for this moment his entire fucking life. He's like, oh yeah, buddy? Well, I bet you didn't count on this. And he shoots the, the guy who shoots the cashier who then turns around and shoots him and they all die. Because the cashier did have a gun. Right? No, the cashier did not have a gun. When the customer shoots the gunman, the gunman accidentally shoots the cashier. Like, just a reflex. Okay. He, he shoots the cashier. So, he's already opened the safe. And then he turns around and, and the, the gunman shoots the, the customer. They kind of both shoot each other at the same time. I don't know. Okay, go back okay. and go back and watch the scene if you want to know exactly. Everybody dies except for Buck and Buck's wife. Okay. And then Buck... A black dude is just standing there with all these dead guys and like a bag of cash on the table. And, and he's, he's like, like, there's, there's no, no security cameras in this. these days. Yeah. Like nobody is going to believe me. So he just takes the cash and just leaves. And then it cuts to Buck's record store. <laughs> Buck's super stereo. Like, Which honestly, I feel like he made the right decision. Yeah. I feel like that wasn't going to go well. No, it wasn't, and, like, it's unfortunate that people had to die, but... Well, Buck deserves his own He tried to get story. the money through legit means, and they're just like, Sir, you're in pornography, and you're black, so we're not going to give you this money. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And he's just like, oh, yeah, this is Reagan's America now. Fuck. Um, so he he's resourceful so yeah it cuts to this is this is where the movie kind of like starts to give everybody their happy oh, and let me just say really quick okay so after Dirk and Reed are able to escape from the drug dealer's house they after, get fucking chased yeah by a fucking shotgun wielding drugged out madman it's bad Todd gets killed and then Dirk just goes home, goes to Jack's house, and he's just standing there in the kitchen, and he's just like, Jack, I'm so sorry, you know? And Jack just doesn't even say anything. He just walks up to him and just, like, holds him and yeah. hugs him, and it is just, like, the sweetest moment ever. And then the next shot is Dirk, like, laying on the couch in fetal position, like, crying into Amber's lap as she's just, like, petting his hair and, like, calming him down. It's just so 
Oh so shit, that was another beautiful. thing. So when everyone's going through their dark oh, dark night of the too. soul moments, you have Amber's, which is she's trying to get custody back of her kid. And the way the film presents it is like her husband is a bad guy. And yeah, like he definitely does seem like he's a piece of shit. But you also have to kind of understand the logic of just like she's got a drug problem that she doesn't necessarily have the best handle on. And, you know, it's just clear that everything else that she's doing in her life, she's not in a position to where she can give her child the full attention that he needs. So it's unfortunate that, like, she's not going to win the case. And, like, when it shows her sobbing outside the courtroom, because they don't tell you what the verdict is, they show you emotionally how the verdict affects her and it's very heartbreaking but you also kind of understand that like the pain she's feeling in this moment that's going to lead her to become more responsible and to start taking ownership over her life and then she ends up directing the commercial for buck's new stereo yes. store and oh and the scene with her and roller girl when they're on their like bender She's yeah, like, I want you to be my mom. Like, let's do it. Like, we're gonna take a pottery class together. Like, we're gonna, you know, like it's so. And it's really sad because, so like, sad. Out, of, out of everything that she's doing, the thing that she wants the most is to be a mother. She wants to be a mother to her own child. She wants to be a mother to Dirk. She wants to be a mother to Roller Girl. She even wants to be a mother to like she wants to play the mother role to Jack's patron to his father figure. Yeah, I think ultimately that's that's kind of a thing that. Not everybody reads into this film, but it's saying that family is very important and family is very often very dysfunctional. Yeah. And if you can just find a way to make it work with everybody, you can find your rock and through your rock, that's how you have a foundation to stand up upon and reach the things that, that you really truly want to do and, you know, find what's special about you. So this That's fucking movie film. about the golden age of porn oh has this fucking wholehearted message to it. And I think that's awesome. Oh, and then it ends with just like a sweet montage of like Buck is opening his business. Jesse's like making another painting at Jack's house. She made a memorial painting of Bill. Dirk is just hanging out with his fam. Scotty's there. Like everybody's there and they're just all together. And like you can tell that like... Dirk and Roller Girl have moved in with Jack and Amber and like they're just going like full force with the fam together. Yeah. You know, and it's super sweet. And then Like we before have... there was hints of a family, but now there's like solid like tenants of a family. Yeah. But then there's also the, the very infamous scene of Dirk kind of psyching himself up in the mirror before he goes back out to shoot a scene. Mm-hmm. And fucking Mark Wahlberg gets up and he pulls out his very obviously prosthetic penis and is like waggling it in front of the mirror. And I remember between that and then there was another movie uh, that came out with Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon around the same time. But there is uh, Kevin Bacon's in the shower and there was very fierce debate amongst people in high school about whether or not like these penises were all real. Whether the Dirk Diggler. Yeah, Dirk Diggler and then also Kevin Bacon's uh, penis. If it's like, I mean, come on, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Because, you know, all the guys are very insecure about their dick size and they're just like, I mean, that's not what mine looks like. So obviously that has to be fake. But but with with Mark Wahlberg's like I think it's been like confirmed for it fake. It is fake, right? Yeah, yeah, it is fake. <laughs> with the 
don't do like the legally blonde voice. Like what? Like it's big. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. My stance is always just kind of like, I don't care. Like some guys have big ones and some guys don't have very big ones. And it's not like how big it is. It's just a matter of like how much of a fucking prick you are yourself. I wish they hadn't shown the dick. Because I feel like every reaction to it was so good. And, like, I even, like, I even found myself, like, well, watching it. I'm like, that's it? it? Like, that's... Yes, when you set it up, that's going to be your reaction. You're like, I thought it was going to be bigger than that. I kind of did. It didn't seem that crazy to me. <laughs> like, there's this movie, uh, Basketball. I don't know if you ever saw it. But it's, um, it's Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Um, and everybody just assumes that, like, they, like, wrote and directed the movie, but it's not. It's, uh, like, I think it's Smucker's Brothers. Um, but, uh, there's, there's this sequence where they're in a locker room and then they're referencing, like, how big their dicks are and they make them ridiculously big. They're like fire hoses. But the way that they do it is they have it framed to where you only see part of the shaft and then, like... They'll, like, turn, and then you'll hear this sound of, like, something swinging through the room. And, like, maybe somebody, like, way off screen will get smacked in the head with it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, maybe do something like that. I don't, like, when he pulls it out, you just don't see the end of it. It just goes all the way under the table. that would be funny. That would be good. But it would have been better to just not show it. Yeah. Because by showing it, you're just going to be like, oh, okay. You know what I did put, though? Because just... Personal opinion, I don't think they should have showed it. I think it's more effective to not show it. But in my Boogie Nights paper, I had to analyze the final shot. And so my interpretation was that part of Dirk's struggle on his hero's journey is that, like, he is a very insecure person and, like, feels, I think, like, that he can't live up to all these expectations and, like, that he's feeling, like people's perception of him is like literally based on this thing, you know, like that's the special thing about me. I'm nothing without this dick basically, you know? And then like by having the end shot, like as throughout the film, he's coming to terms with his issues and like getting a better grasp on himself and becoming more confident. No longer is it like I am defined by my junk. It's more like, because we have the final shot where it's like his face is out of the frame and it's just the dick. So it's like now it's not like that is all that I am. It's like that is like a thing and like it is distinctly separate from like me as a person and this is like a tool and an attribute that I'm going to use in my personal life and in my career but like ultimately like me as a person is like separate from that. Yeah. So maybe that's what they were going for. Yeah. Either way. And I appreciate the movie for not spelling every single thing out. And again, it's something that in the subsequent viewings that I've done, and it kind of feels like I've been a slightly different person every single time I've watched it. I pick up on something else. I take a different sort of perspective away from this. I, I learn something new and it gives me something to think about until the next time I watch it. And then I watch it again and I'm just like, oh shit, I never noticed this before. There is so. a lot of layers to this film. There are layers. Mm-hmm. So I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it's my favorite movie, you guys. It's well, so good. Please watch it if you haven't. Yeah, and you know, drop by, drop by the Instagram, uh, Good Vibe Cinema, and Vibe Talking to wish Vic a very happy birthday. Oh, 
and a really special gift that you could give is to share this with with other people tell them to come check us out if they're at all interested in you know what we discuss which is films about the chart fives films from the golden age of adult cinema vibe talking is going to be where they can find it and uh, you can really help us grow um, you can reach out to us vibe talking at gmail.com uh, what else do we want to plug should we talk about all our exciting theatrical stuff other projects you just got done with Palm Springs Fringe. Yes, the High Desert Fringe Festival in Joshua Tree was dope. Our next thing on the agenda is going to be Rochester, New York. So East Coast peeps, if you want to come see the show, it is similar themes to Boogie Nights. Cultivating the self, using a theatrical persona to live out your wildest dreams. That's the play. So come see that. Also... I just signed us up for the 48-hour film festival. Oh. So it's on. <laughs> so we More are... More content to watch. Yes, we're about to have another short film. I don't know what it's going to be yet. We're about to find out. But we're going to make this thing in a weekend. And that's at the end of June. So that's exciting. That'll be fun. We also shot some really great pictures while we're out in Joshua Tree. So those... By the time you're hearing this, those should be up on our Instagram. Five talking. And again, you know, good vibe. There's going to be a little bit of redundancy between the two. But Five Talking is definitely going to be focused on this show and what we're doing on this show. Good Vibe is going to be the parent company, the overarching production uh, behind everything that, uh, that you do. Yeah, we've got a TikTok, which doesn't get too much content. And then we've got a YouTube, which gets some content. And there's a Twitter, which I might revive. I just haven't been feeling very okay. stoked on Twitter. Okay. So I just haven't been on there in months. Yeah. Bad place, bad vibes. The gram is where it's at. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. The gram is pretty popping. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is a great place to follow what we're doing. If you're hearing this, you obviously found a place to listen to it. Our home is on rss.com, but we are on Spotify. We are on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So if you want to share this with anybody, we're on Spotify. Type in Vibe Talking, no G at the end. And then just go crazy from there. I would love some reviews, you guys. I'd be very stoked about that. That would be a big help and be just very exciting just to see what people think. You know, that would be cool. Yeah, reviews would, would definitely help go. us. That'd be dope. That's it for me. I feel like that's it, yeah. Just, I feel like this is like a, <laughs> a sour little note. Like, it was, just, I feel like we're gonna get like pumped about it again. I don't know. Just like, Boogie Nights is so good. Like, I don't know. Like, that's all I have to say about it. Go watch Boogie Nights again and tell us all about it. Yes. I wanna hear you guys' hot takes on Boogie Nights and like if it changed your life or not. And maybe it will now, watching it again. I mean, the first time you watched Boogie Nights, did you lose your virginity? <laughs> or did you have an existential crisis? <laughs> or both. Did you try to make out with somebody only to get uh, very forcefully rejected? Who knows? Hopefully not. Too sad. Yes. Hopefully it was all good vibes. Good vibes only. <laughs> Alright guys, good night. That's Gemini season 4. Sweet dreams.